Thanks for tuning into Charlottesville Soundboard. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM and also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. This week, we take a look at the COVID-19 data in our health district and get an update on the local vaccine distribution process. And in the second half of the show, we share a riveting interview with highly acclaimed poet Nikki Giovanni from the podcast and radio show In My Humble Opinion on 101.3 Jams. I'm joined today by Charlottesville Tomorrow lead reporter Jesse Higgins, and we're going to get an update on all things COVID and COVID vaccine. So if you've been paying attention to the national news, you probably know that COVID spread is pretty out of control in almost all of the country. So, Jesse, what does the data tell us about COVID-19 here in our area? Well, uh, as always, our local health district, um, the numbers of cases as compared with the rest of the state is pretty good comparatively. But that doesn't actually mean a lot really anymore because the numbers are just so high um, everywhere. It's It stopped really mattering. After Thanksgiving, we saw a really big spike because of family gatherings, people traveling and getting together with their loved ones. Uh, and then following Christmas and New Year's, we saw an enormous spike. It went real high. The highest level was on January 4th, where the Blue Ridge Health District had 233 cases in a day. So now we're around 60, somewhere between 50 and 60 a day is the moving average, which seems really good when you compare it to 233. But when you compare it to where we were in November, it's it's not good. It's still not good. So a couple weeks ago, when we were right in the midst of that really high spike, how was our hospital capacity and PPE and stuff like that? UVA Medical Center has consistently reassured the public that they have the capacity to expand to take as many COVID patients as necessary. Obviously, there's a limit to that. And I think we saw after the Christmas and New Year's spike, um, some major straining happening at the hospitals. Are there any new recommendations from the health district about how people can stay safe during this time where there's clearly, you know, a lot more COVID even just in our community than there was like before Thanksgiving? You know, the recommendations haven't changed at all. I think it's it's gotten pretty clear what people have to do. And I mean, the problem now really is just the fatigue of having to do it all the time for months and months. It's cold. We had, you know, really important holidays. And now we're getting into that sort of post-Christmas, post-New Year, high depression season where the winter is just sprawling out in front of us. And, you know, the, the message is just stick with it. Wear your masks. <laughs> Avoid crowded places. Don't meet with people indoors. Most of the spread that the health district is seeing when they're doing their contact tracing, most of it in this area is coming from small family gatherings. These places where you feel safe, they're your parents, your brothers, your sisters. That's where people are getting sick. So it's hard. There's no easy solution. You just 
have to wear your mask. You just have to stay away from people that you don't live with. My uh, partner and I have entered the board games phase of quarantine. (laughs) So we get to the end of the day and are like, well, we can't go anywhere and it's freezing and we can't see anyone. And we spent the whole day staring at a screen. Don't really want to do that anymore. So (laughs) keep crushing him in Catan. (laughs) (laughs) Bravo. Thank you. So is UVA still planning to bring students back to Charlottesville for a spring semester? They are indeed, yes. Um, and when, when will that be? When should we expect people to start returning? Yeah, so it looks like students are coming back uh, next week, starting February 1st. So we can expect, you know, these thousands of students to return to Charlottesville, like you said, next week, coming from all over the country. What is the university doing to mitigate the risk that comes with that? One of the things they're doing is requiring the students to have a negative COVID test before coming back. We saw at the beginning of last semester when the university first brought students back a pretty sharp and quick increase in cases. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that again at the start. But, you know, the one thing that does give me a little hope and optimism is that the university was able to find a way to reduce the spread and bring cases way down last semester. I think they have a shot at doing that again through their very, very intense testing, quick quarantining, quick isolation, mandating masks be worn at all time bringing students who violate some of the rules before student review committees. Those things seem to work in the fall. I I guess we just have to hope that they'll work again this semester. I I will say that the setting is a little different now. At that time, we didn't have such massive community spread, and now we clearly do. So the, the stakes are a little higher right now, if you can believe it. Like you said, we're we're in a different circumstance, but they do have a playbook that, that did work in the fall. So, you know, the big thing we're all concerned about is, are all these students going to spread it to the community? And, and it looks like from the fall, we didn't see that. So hopefully that will be the case again. All right. So obviously, this is a really acute time in the COVID pandemic, um, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Let's talk about vaccines. What's the vaccine distribution process like here in the Blue Ridge Health District? Things have ground to a very slow pace. It was actually the UVA Medical Center that first started vaccinating its staff. They were the first people, the first group in the Blue Ridge Health District to get the vaccine. And they rolled it out very quickly, and it seems very efficiently. By comparison, the Blue Ridge Health District has had kind of a rough start To give a little bit of background information, basically a few weeks ago, the state opened up vaccinations to phase 1A. Phase 1A is healthcare workers and people in long-term care facilities, and that's it. That's all. So hospitals were responsible for vaccinating their own staffs. So UVA on their own handled ordering the vaccine, scheduling their staff members, and getting their people vaccinated. Now, hospital workers are by no means the only healthcare workers 
in the city, in the county, in the health district, you have a huge list of healthcare workers that qualify for the vaccine that are not going to work for a hospital, like EMS, people who work at doctor's office, dentists, people who work at dialysis center. I mean, the list is huge. There's thousands of these people. And so all of those folks had to go to the health district to get their vaccine. And it seems like it's been just kind of a rough start. There was issues with getting people scheduled for appointments. And it seemed like as the health district started to maybe get a handle on some of the issues they were having, suddenly the vaccine became in very short supply. So at the same time, as many of the frontline healthcare workers were not yet getting their vaccine, the state opened up the vaccine process to people in phase 1B and expanded phase 1B enormously to include, I think the estimate is half of Virginians qualify as phase 1B. So that would stand to reason that half of our health district qualifies as part of phase 1B. And they're all now uh, able to sign up and attempt to get an appointment through the health district. It's been kind of an assault on this little agency that's not totally well equipped for it. There's now not enough vaccine remotely to get to them all. I I think the last count was a week ago, 35,000 people in Blue Ridge had signed up to get the vaccine and they were getting less than 3,000 doses a week. And in the meantime, healthcare workers have not gotten their vaccine. It's just slow going. So can you talk a little bit about all of the people who are in that 1B category, um, like you said, 1A was very narrow. People who live in long-term care facilities and people who work in healthcare. Um, who is in 1B? 1B is massive. I've published lists of everyone it includes in several of my stories, and I'm frankly not sure that I've even gotten them all. The new phase 1B, the expanded phase 1B, includes anyone who's 65 and older, period. Um, Anyone who's between 16 and 64 and has a high-risk medical condition. There's another list of certain essential workers that the state has identified as being more at-risk essential workers, like um, police officers, firefighters, although some of those people qualified as part of Phase 1A people who work at jails or correctional facilities, teachers, officials needed to maintain continuity of government. Beyond that, there is a whole list of other people. So anyone living in a jail or another correctional facility, anyone living in a homeless shelter, um, and anyone living in a migrant labor camp all qualifies as phase 1B. What the health district has been saying is everybody be patient. It's going to be a few months before we get through this. Has the state said at any point why they decided to make Group 1B so large and expansive? The idea was that the state was not vaccinating people quickly enough, that they could have been vaccinating more people. And the fact that they had these very limited groups was actually like slowing down a very important process. So the governor decided to massively expand and open up 1B in order just to get more people vaccinated. Unfortunately, that happened shortly before this major shortage of vaccines. So now we have a situation where all of these people have been told, hey, it's your turn and there's no vaccine for them. That shortage of the vaccines that you keep talking about, is it a statewide shortage? Yes. Virginia 
is getting much less vaccine than they initially planned and that they initially thought they were going to be getting from both Pfizer and Moderna. How are they triaging all these people in 1B? That's a really good question. And I frankly don't know the answer to that. Most of what I hear is the health district assuring us that they are triaging. I don't know who gets priority. I know that anyone who is age 75 and older and signed up for a vaccine before 1B was expanded will be getting their vaccine from UVA. All right. You, I think, referenced earlier that it will probably take months for a lot of people in 1B to get a vaccine. Can you talk a little bit more about that timeline? God, I wish I could. I'm sitting here in possibly in phase 1C, looking ahead, wondering when when we're going to be getting around to that. And I honestly don't think that our health district would be able to tell us how long this is going to take. It's so dependent on how much vaccine they get and other like technical issues that have just been plaguing this from the beginning being resolved, a lot of which are out of their hands. There's a form that people in 1B can fill out in order to express their intent, I'm putting that in air quotes, to get a vaccine from the health district. So if you're in 1B or you have a loved one who is, you can go to Charlottesville tomorrow and see that whole list. And um, we'll put the link to uh, sign up and express your intent to get a vaccine. And the way that the the system's designed to work is that they will email you if you fill out that form um, when they have a vaccine for you, right? That's that's exactly right. The survey is, I, I've been told, it's designed to capture anyone, the information of people who want a vaccine. And then once they capture that data, they then sort through it and make appointments out of it. And you're not going to hear from the health department until you have an appointment. And there have been issues I've heard even then hearing from the health department. It's not been smooth, but they're, they're getting through it. Okay, so you were saying you're in 1C, I'm in 1C. Has the governor indicated when the rest of the people in the state might be able to get a vaccine, not just 1C, but the whole general population? The only thing I've heard with regards to that timeline is the the guesstimate is sometime this summer. We'll be getting to everybody else sometime this summer. It's going to be a while. Well, we will wait and see and stay inside in the meantime. (laughs) Wear your masks. (laughs) Wash your hands. Jesse Higgins is the lead reporter for Charlottesville Tomorrow. You're listening to Charlottesville Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center, protecting Virginia's air, water, and natural treasures, and leading the way towards a healthy environment for all. Learn more at southernenvironment.org. In our next segment, we're going to hand it over to our friends at In My Humble Opinion. It's a radio show that airs every Sunday at noon on 101.3 Jams. You can also listen to the show as a podcast. Just head on over to virginiaaudio.org. Here's their interview with poet Nikki Giovanni. 
Welcome back. You are tuned in to In My Humble Opinion, 1013 Jams. You got Miss Max, Sir Charles Razor, and A.A. Ron. Mm-hmm. And as promised, we have none other than Miss Nikki Giovanni on the line. Miss Giovanni, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm yeah. glad to be able to talk to you. So you have a new book coming out. I believe it's being released a little later this month, October 20th. And we are going yeah. to get into that. But before Thank we you. do, we just want to chat. We'd start, in my humble opinion, by doing a wellness check with everybody. And COVID has affected all of us the same and in many ways differently. So I just want to touch base with you and hear how this whole COVID experience has affected you or your work or what have you. I think it's fine. You know, I'm not urging anything, but I have not caught it. I go see my doctor once a week, and that's just to be on the safe side. I teach Mm -hmm. on Tuesday. So I'm teaching mm-hmm. creative writing, and I go mm-hmm. into the classroom because I think the kids deserve the right to see me. I haven't been traveling, you know, since last March. They keep saying, well, it's safe, it's safe. Everybody keeps saying that, except the 210,000 people who are mm-hmm. dead. I was thinking about the last time that you spoke to, in my humble opinion, and it was just post-August 12th here in Charlottesville. Uh-huh. You kind of talked about how the Black community would recover from this. And you specifically mentioned the role that Black artistry, whether it be music or writing or fashion or what have you, would help to mend this. And I just wanted to hear your gauge on whether or not you feel like artistry that the Black community has to contribute has played the role that you had hoped it would in terms of helping us to recover and get through what we're experiencing right now. Mm. Oh, absolutely. When you think about our ancestors, you know, just go back 300 years. When we were enslaved, we created the music of the world, because no matter where you go, you hear the music of Black Americans. And now, of course, when the youngsters are are rapping, you can go anyplace and you hear people rapping. So Black Americans have created the sound, the voice and the hope of Black Americans. No matter what's going on, people still want to look like Black Americans. They want to mm. talk like Black Americans. And we know very well that they want to cook like Black Americans. They want to eat the food that we make. So I, I think we're going to get through. It's not what you would call a happy period, but neither was slavery. Mm-hmm. And we went through that. We built what we had to do to keep ourselves together. So I'm very proud of our community. Hey, uh, Miss Giovanni, really appreciate that. This is A.A. Ron. And uh, I actually have a question uh, because you lived through and had a lot of experiences. I was talking to my father who's had similar experiences, and he said the energy that he feels in 2020 was very similar to 1968. Can you talk about the spirit of rebellion that black Americans had during that time and some of the similarities and maybe some of the things we can take from that period of time to bring to now? Well, we have to remember, we used to in the old days, and, and this is in the 20s, have to deal with every about once every week, we had someone being lynched, mm. someone hanging from a tree. Our community found a way to get through it. It wasn't easy. I know it couldn't have been fun. It was a terrible thing, but we got through that. And we're going to get through this. I think that what Black Lives Matter, those three women who started that are just incredible. Mm-hmm. And they said Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and that's right. you'd be amazed how many people, well, this this matters and that matters. Nobody's asking you what else matters. We're just saying black mm-hmm. lives matter. Mm-hmm. And to see those women have organized the earth, because I was looking at television and I was watching Perth, Australia. That just blew my mind that there were people in Perth, Australia, who were marching 
with black Americans that say mm-hmm. black lives matter. So, yeah, getting through it, you know, it's not fun. But also, we're not whiners. So right. we have to get over that. <laughs> we're not going to whine about the fact that a lot of white people don't like us. And that's not our problem. Our problem is, do we love ourselves? And mm-hmm. if we do that, everything that works. Ms. Giovanni, why do you think that is? Why just the phrase itself and the statement, the stance that Black Lives Matter, why that simple statement is so complicated to folks? They don't want us to like ourselves. And mm. I'm older than everybody on this phone right now, but we are living in a community and world and a time that everybody wants you to dislike yourself, even mm-hmm. though everything you do, they do. <laughs> they take your song, they take your clothes, they take your food. And I think that black people have to really learn that black lives matter. We are the ones that had to learn that. It has nothing to do with who else doesn't like it. It has to do with mm-hmm. we have to like that. Do we matter to ourselves? Ms. Giovanni, and this is Ray's, I got a question for you. Why does it seem like it's so easy for us or certain black people to ask for white acceptance as opposed to stand up for black empowerment? One of you has a T-shirt on that says King Jesus. Right and here. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Yes, ma'am. And But what mm. I like about Jesus is that when he was out in the desert, 40 days and 40 nights, mm-hmm. the devil came to say, you know, I will give you water. I will give you food. I will give you whatever. Jesus didn't try to understand him, didn't try to talk to him. He said, get behind me, Satan. Mm. And as long mm-hmm. as we, you and I, and people like us are willing to say, get behind me, Satan, we're going right. to go on. We're going to go forward. If it's good mm-hmm. enough for Jesus, good enough for me. Mm. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I have a question for you. As an educator, you are educating our kids who will someday be our neighbors, our leaders. And so I wonder how the times shape what you teach them. There is value in, in who we are, and there is value in who they are. You and I uh-huh. and other people like us were not allowed to read or write. We were not allowed to go to school. And Mm -hmm. it's very interesting that COVID has put us back in that position. We were able to work toward freedom, not only our freedom, but freedom for the United States and really freedom for the world. Black American freedom contributed to planet Earth is just essential. And I Mm -hmm. think it's really interesting that now if I had a child, my son is 51 years old, but if I had a child, I would keep him at home. And I would have to say to myself, as many mothers and fathers are, we've been through this before. We have had to sneak and teach these youngsters how to read and how to write and how to count. We've done this before. So it's very interesting that COVID comes and we're back to that position. We have to take advantage of it. You've got your kids at home and somebody's going to say, well, it's hard. I can't go to work. I can't do this and that. But you used to go out in the fields. You used mm-hmm. to wake up before dawn and cook some breakfast for them and leave it for the oldest child who might be four, five years old, and she was to take care of them, or he was to take care of them, and you went out and did what you had to do to come back home at night. We've done it. And so I think it's really interesting that somebody's trying to make us afraid of leaving these children, looking for, as neighbors and as Mm -hmm. friends, each other's Mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. We can do this. I teach, and I'm lucky to teach, but we also know that a lot was learned not by schools, but the old people and what the churches taught us. We have to remember that. Yeah. So let's talk about your new book, Make Me Rain, Poems and Prose. Where do you want to start? How about the inspiration for the book? 
Well, first of all, there's nothing more important than rain. And we know that you have to have water. You and I could go out and not eat for 40 days, but it would be very difficult to not drink for 40 days. And we know, and I was talking about my fish earlier. I have a little fish pond. It's not that big. In putting the rocks in there, they were just rock with water. But now, of course, moss has grown on the rocks. So we know what water does, the life of everything. As a woman, we know that it is the yoke that brings life. And so I think you have to look at what's making it all grow. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, there's an old song. And some of you know it. It's called Make Me Rain. It's an old jazz song. And I thought, yeah, if I could be anything, I would want to be rain. Because if I'm going to be rain, things are going to grow. And no matter what anybody thinks about me, something will grow from me coming into the soil. Something mm-hmm. will grow. And so that's how it started, simply mm-hmm. because I thought, yeah, I would like to be rain. I think everybody who writes a book now is going to owe me because I've gotten (laughs) my publisher interested now. They will allow me to write poems and prose, which I think is important. Mm. Poetry is just, it's the novel. It's an idea. Mm -hmm. And some ideas come one way and some ideas come another. And I think I've helped open that door for the writers to say, well, I don't have to just do this. I can do it my own way. So, you know, my next question to you is, what is it that you hope to kind of grow with this new project? Is there anything more symbolic in your opinion or just something that calls us to be better quality of people that you feel will be birthed out of someone partaking of your book? I really have enjoyed this book. Like most poets, I'm always in love. Poets are always in love. So the one thing, it's a lot of love poems in there because poets are always in love. And it's a good thing to be. And there's a reason that pencils have erasers so that you are in love. And I wrote a poem about that, too. And if it doesn't work, hey, you erase it and go get another one. I have a lot about cooking with my grandmother in this book and about being with my grandmother Mm because grandmothers are so important. Mm -hmm. And now I am a grandmother. And I see why everybody said, you know, you put up with your children so that you can have grandchildren. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) But then you get your grandchildren, you think, okay, it was worth it. And (laughs) I had a good time in writing Mm -hmm. this book. Again, I wanted to give a shout out to Marvin Gaye. If you recall in what's going on, it's a darker cover. The rain is coming down from Marvin and he's wet. He's kind of looking up, but the cover of that album is gay, is being rained on. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, mm-hmm. the cover of my book, I have on a raincoat. I have the blue sky. So oh, okay. we gave the rain to Marvin so that he could produce whatever's right. coming next. Can I just say I looked at that cover and thought, I want to age like this. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, Nikki is beaming. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> A lot of the kids don't know a lot of the music that our generation grew up in. And I think it's important. I go in and I sing to them and they're like, oh, God, she's singing today. (laughs) I just have a good time. It's what you do. You just got to get them to remember some things and to create some things and to not be afraid. The Harlem Renaissance is so wonderful because there were problems, as we all know. But once we got to the Renaissance, we started to have this kind of freedom. And there was a song, I was humming it to myself this morning, please don't talk about me when I'm gone. And I thought, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a Renaissance song. He's going to go into a nightclub and he's going to have a drink and he's going to, you know, no matter how I carry on. I love that kind of freedom. And I love the fact that we begin to talk about that level of individual mm-hmm. freedom, not only for black Americans, but for everybody. The right. uh, King of England, Edward, if you recall, resigned from the crown so that mm-hmm. he could come back to New York. And he wanted to come back. Now, they don't say it like that, but I'm a history major and I can read. 
He mm-hmm. wanted to come back to New York to be a part of the Harlem Renaissance. Miss Giovanni, mm-hmm. I got a question for you about your book. You always exalt excellence. What does, in your opinion, black excellence look like in 2020? Great question. I'll sound like a politician if I said that's a good question. <laughs> I think it looks like what we're seeing. I think it looks like bravery. I went to school right. with John Lewis. Now, okay. John Lewis, nobody can tell you John wasn't brave. When he walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, that was a brave thing because he knew he was going to get beaten. He cracked his head open. But it was also brave for the women to say, we're not going to take it. What you've done to Brianna, we're not going to take it. Mm-hmm. And one of the books that I have coming out is called Standing in the Need of Prayer. Mm. And the, the cover of the book is showing Trayvon Martin. He's got his hood on, walking, and it shows a policeman with a gun shooting him in the back. Mm. Mm. I think that the kids are actually, they're taking it. And as I say, I, I don't want to live forever because I'm not a fool. But I hope I hang around for a few more years because I just think mm-hmm. what black people are doing is so wonderful. Before we let you go, of course, we got to ask a person of your stature about legacy. I just wanted to kind of get your feedback on what it is that you hope to leave here and change in this world. All I have are words. So I want to use my words to help remind people we are a strong and a good people. And that is to remind. That's not to teach or tell. It's to mm-hmm. remind, mm-hmm. and we should wake up every morning and look in the mirror and smile, which I do, and say, okay, you're a good person. Make mm-hmm. it a habit. It makes a difference in the day. It may be the only smile you get, but mm-hmm. make sure you get it. It's your smile. Yeah. Make sure you get it. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Charlottesville Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. My name is Mary Garner McGee. Our assistant producer this week is Jad Abuteya. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat by Marin Alasco and Jay Pun. This is Soundboard.